Good morning. I'm thankful that you're here this morning. I'll go ahead and say, if you're a member here, it's good to see you again. And uh, if you're a guest here, we love you. And we're so thankful that, that you are uh, filling our pews and here to worship the Almighty with us. It, it is a wonderful day. It's my favorite day of the week. It's Sunday and the Lord's Day. And it's a wonderful, wonderful time and experience. I'm so thankful to sit at the front a bunch because usually when we sing, uh, we got more people behind me so I can hear everyone else singing and it is really uplifting and encouraging. I want to talk about today, a better you for the glory of God. I want to begin by a little story I was at. I went to Walker High School. It's now called Jasper High School. I wasn't there when it was Jasper High School. I'll go ahead and set that straight. I was not there while it was Jasper High School. It was Walker High School. And one of the things that I would say that would be interesting about me is I was in the band in high school, and I also played baseball while I was in high school. Uh, my entire life, I don't think I've ever known someone who was playing baseball and was in the band also in high school. I thought that was really interesting. But... I'll go ahead and tell you this story so we can get a perspective of today. I walked into the band room one day, and usually when I went to school, um, I tell you this not to boast, but I usually brought my Bible with me. I would always bring my Bible around with me, and, and if I was able to finish work quick enough, I could open it up and read it while I was in class. So I would open it up and I would read in class. Well, I usually had it with me every day. Uh, this certain day, this was something really interesting that happened. I go into the band room and we sit down. I was a drummer. I hit stuff for a living. So I go in and I sit down and we're waiting on our drum instructor to come and give us the go-ahead to start making noise. So we go in and we sit down and I hear a young man who was with us who was just a ninth or 10th grader and I heard what he was talking about while we were sitting down waiting on our instructor. And I could never repeat what he was saying because it was filthy and it was wrong to say. And I spoke up and I said, don't be saying those things. Those things are not nice and those things should never come out of your mouth ever again. That's not right. And as I was saying that, a guy who was walking in behind me was looking, and I guess he eavesdropped on our conversation. I said, please don't say those things. Those aren't nice to say. And nobody wants to hear that. And this kid who's walking behind me said, yeah, don't say those things around Cole. He's a Christian. Now, I believe he was being serious, but I also believe there was a hint of sarcasm in what he was saying. And so he goes and he sits down beside me. And I looked at the guy, called him by name, and I said, I said, you think I'm a Christian? And he said, yeah, you're a Christian. And I said, what makes you think I'm a Christian? This is his big answer. Get ready. Will you carry your Bible around with you all day? Really? That makes me a Christian. I had an atheist friend who was in science class with me. I guess I could walk up to him and say, hey, hold this book around, walk around school with it. You automatically become a Christian when you do that. Is that really, is that really the Christian life? Here's a, here's a Bible. Go walk down the streets of Jasper and everybody... That's got to be a Christian there. He's got a Bible. 
I want to ask this question to begin to get our minds going. Have we changed our standard for what a Christian is? Because if you carry a Bible around, that doesn't make you a Christian. I think we all should know that. And what I want to do this morning is I want to go through a few schools of thought that I think that we can fall into while we're Christians. And we'll say, well, this proves that I'm a Christian because if I'm doing these things, man, I'm faithful. I wrote a list, and I call it the 13 reasons why I'm a Christian list. And I really want to read through some of these, and I'll be honest, as I'm reading these things, I'm going to step on my toes as I'm reading it. And I may let you know which one it is. Thirteen reasons why I'm a Christian, number one. I'm a Christian because I go to church for preaching and I shake the preacher's hand afterward and I tell him he did a good job. I'm a Christian. Number two. I'm a Christian because when I miss a Wednesday night Bible study, I pull up a lesson online to listen to so I at least get my Bible study in for a week. I'm guilty of that one. Number three, I'm a Christian because I invited somebody to church. Guilty. I'm a Christian because I take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Guilty. I'm a Christian because I pray before I eat lunch. I'm a Christian because I go to the Church of Christ. Number seven, I'm a Christian because I go to church on Sunday morning and evening. Number eight, I'm a Christian because I go to church on Sunday morning. Number nine, I'm a Christian because I pray before I go to bed. Number 10, I'm a Christian because I pray after I wake up. Number 11, I'm a Christian because I don't drink beer. Number 12, I'm a Christian because I don't cuss. And 13, I'm a Christian because I don't skip worship services. Should I go on? Those are good things. All those things are good things. I love inviting someone to church. I don't want to drink beer. I don't want to say bad words. And I want to be at church every time the doors are open. But is that the best we can do to give evidence of our faith? Because if we're going to do that and say, this is our evidence, I'm going to say some of those things were quite feeble. Because I can look around in the world today and see many other people who do the same exact things. And they're not Christians. I love what Brandon Jackson said in his lesson on Wednesday night, if you were able to be here. He was talking about uh, faith being proven by our works in James chapter 2. And he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. What works are you going to show? That's really, really what I want to talk about today. And we're going to look at Colossians, the third chapter. If you will, go ahead and turn there. Colossians chapter 3. We're not going to start in verse 1. I really want to start with a minority group of people that I think this may be a mindset that we could fall into. If we start in verse 5, listen to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. 
And if we're like some people, there's some mindsets that we can allow ourselves to slip into. We can say, I don't do any of those. I don't make a practice of any of those. That must prove that I'm a Christian. And I'll, I'll say this. It's good not to do those things. And I'm going to do something really quick that I think that I've made a mistake of doing as a preacher. I want to walk through just some of these that are listed because I believe they're listed for a reason. Sexual immorality. Is that something that you're guilty of? Is that something you've made a practice of? Impurity and passion. Are you lusting after things that are ungodly? Covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you put things before God? And I want to tell you, if you're in these sins, read verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I didn't come up with that verse. I didn't write that verse. And God didn't tell me to write that verse. God told Paul to write, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Are you in those sins? The other ones are anger, wrath, malice, slander. How's your language? Have you thought about that lately? Some may say, well, Cole, it's not hurting me now to do those things. It may not hurt you now. But the wrath of God is coming. And as far as I know, I have no idea when that day is going to come. I want to go ahead and make that point. Because I think we may overlook that at times. But what I want to talk about, this minority mindset that, that could possibly come into to our thinking, is this idea of, because I don't do those things, that makes me a Christian. Because I don't commit sexual immorality, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't covet, I, which, is not, I mean, which is adultery, I, I don't do all those things. I, I don't let my anger take action and, and cause me to do wrathful things. I, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't lie. I don't lie, which makes me a Christian, right? The question that I ask now is this. Is that all there is to it? To just stay away from sin? Is that all? Because there, there's just a mindset out there, and I'm guilty of it. But there's this mindset that I became a Christian, now all that I need to do is stay away from these sins. Is that all of the Christian life? No, it's not. Can you consider a passage for me? You can mark this down. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The Bible tells us there, speaking of Jesus, it says, For we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect, in every way, he was tempted, just as we were, yet without sin. I thank God for that every day. That's a wonderful thing. But Jesus, notice what the passage says. It says, Hebrews 4.15, it says, He was without sin. Now answer this question for me. If Jesus came to the earth and lived a sinless life and went all the way to the cross and made it all the way there and they killed Him and He didn't resurrect to live a new life, would we have salvation today? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, if Christ is not resurrected... Our preaching is in vain and our faith 
It's gone. Is it enough to live a life that's not sinful? It's not enough. But yet, we may fall into a trap and allow our minds to think, if I'm staying away from sin, I'm doing good. And you are. But don't allow your mind to think that that's all the Christian life is. There was a, an older man, I really love this story, there was an older man who, who loved to sit out in the evenings from about 3 to 6 in the evenings out on his front porch and just watch the sun go down in the evening. And he would notice the dirt road out in front of him. He had a fence out front. And there was a dirt road on the other side of that fence that would go down. And there would be this younger kid. He's in high school. Younger kid, he'd walk through and he was always sweaty. And he was wondering, why is that kid so sweaty all the time? Well, he thought, well, he may be coming from work. He may be coming from football practice. Well, come to figure out, he played football. And he got some friends from town and he asked them about the kid. And they said, yeah, that kid's a great football player. Has practiced till at least... 4.35 in the evening. And so, yeah, he's, he's sweaty because of football. And the man said, well, thank you for letting me know. I'm going to get that boy some water, and I'm going to wait on him every day. The older man was a member of the church, and he was willing to, to go the extra mile for the young boy. He also learned from a friend in town that the young boy came from a broken home, and he's not been taught as he should have. He's a partier. He's a drinker. Terrible mouth. Just didn't live a godly life like he could have been taught. And so the man took the challenge. He said, I'm going to give this kid some water. So the first day comes around and he says, Hey, would you like some water? I've got some water for... No, no, thank you. I'm fine. And, and this goes on for a little while, but, but the man... He, he perseveres through it and he, he says, how about, how about some water today? And finally one day comes around and the kid gets some water. And not only that, the man asks him, can you come sit up here with me? And we'll just, you're just tired, man. Just come and rest. I know you live down the road. Just, just come up here and just rest and sit down with me and just drink some water. Do you like lemonade? I like lemonade. Well, yeah, just drink you some water and let's, let's talk about, tell me about what you do, what position you play. And he's getting to know the kid. One day he gets the kid up and they're sitting together and the man says, can I read you something? And the boy said, sure. And the man reaches down under his chair and he pulls out his Bible and he just starts reading him God's will for his life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what God wants for him. The, the pure life that he needs to live and when he gets finished reading, he reads for about just 10, 15 minutes to the kid. While he's sit, sitting there sipping on his water. And he just sits the Bible down and looks up. The kid's crying. He says, I need to go home. He goes home, and the man doesn't see him for a while. He's not coming home from school. Apparently, while the guy's, the older man's sitting there, he doesn't see him. And then one day... The boy comes running down the dirt road. Hair is soak his hair is soaking wet. His shirt's a little wet too. And he runs down the road and he runs into the fence and runs up to the older man. And the older man says, You coming from practice? You're you're really sweaty. He said, No, I'm not sweaty. I came from the baptistry. I said, Well, I went to the church just beside the school 
and I studied with the preacher there the stuff that, that you read to me. I obeyed the gospel. I'm a Christian now. And I want you to know this. The life that you were telling me about, the pure life, the sinless life that God wants me to live, I've put away all my partying, I've put away all my drinking, my, my, slant, my, my terrible mouth that I have. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm working on not cussing, but I've put all those things away. They're all behind me. Aren't you proud? And the older man says, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Then he says this, Can I ask you a question? And the young boy says, Sure, you can. He says, I'm glad that you put all that, that stuff away. But what are you going to do now? What do we do now as we're Christians? We put all those things away. We put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. All those sins. What do we do now? If it's not stay away from sin and that's your life, then what else is there to it? The Bible will answer that for us. Colossians chapter 3 and then verse 10. It goes through in verse 9. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Verse 10, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. It's not enough to put away those things. It's not enough to put to death those things. We put to death those things and we never resurrect. We never put on the new. What are we supposed to do? Well, it says in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We are a special people for God. And so we have to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And it talks about bearing with one another and forgiving each other. That's really hard. That's really hard to do is to forgive something that's really tough. Some may say, well, Cole, I, I've got all those things. I've got a compassionate heart. I, I've, got, I've got kindness, humility, meekness. Just go on, so on and so forth. Do you have a compassionate heart? I, I want us to ask ourselves this question, and I'll be asking myself as you are. Do I really have a compassionate heart? I have a passage that I really want to go to and read about our Lord. And it's in Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark, the sixth chapter. Do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Do you remember what He did before? I, I really love the way Mark does this because it just goes in the order that I really wanted it to go. And the Bible puts it a certain way, and it's beautiful. We'll start in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. But I want you all to know this. This is a cool fact about the 5,000. It's recorded in all four Gospels. 
It was the miracle that everybody was talking about. That's how it gets its name. It's in all four Gospels. Everybody was talking about it. So Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They were really excited because they had done some things and taught some things. They wanted their Lord to know. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. He says, Let's go rest. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great, uh, great crowd, and he had, what's that word? Compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. What did Jesus do? He had compassion on the people. Why did he have compassion? Well, the Bible says they were like sheep without a shepherd. Nobody was watching over them. There was no one to watch over them. They were hungry. They needed food. But it's really interesting. Yeah, Jesus fed them. All 5,000 made them sit down, had the disciples pass out the five loaves and two fish. And he divided all of them for 5,000 people. But I want you to notice, he had compassion. What did he do after that? And he began to teach them many things. If I'm not mistaken, I think our banner says in the back that we have in the foyer, that we've had it up for the entire year. Our banner back there says, we want to increase evangelism beyond the church building walls. In other words, the preaching that Mark, Connor, myself, and others do, that shouldn't be the only evangelism that we have. We want to increase that. We want to teach people. We say that we have compassionate hearts. Now let's be honest with ourselves. Are we compassionate enough about the lost people of the world that we're willing to teach them the truth? I'll go down to my family's house and I'll have compassion on them and I'll be kind to them and I'll be humble while I'm around them and I'll help them with anything, anything. Well, what about the lost world that they're in is destruction if they don't obey the gospel? What about the people that don't know God? What's their end if we don't have compassion on them? Do we have compassionate hearts? Because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, and He's so true when He says it, the laborers are few. Are the laborers few today? Yes. Do you love people enough to tell them the truth about Jesus and His will for their life? That's something you've got to ask yourself. Yeah, we can go down this list and say, yeah, I've got compassion on my brother and my sister, but what about the lost person that lives right next to you? How far does that compassion go? The first group that we talked about, the one that says, I'm going to stay away from sin, and that makes me a Christian. That's the minority, and I really think that the majority of Christians today 
are struggling with this one. We do a lot. We do a lot. We do a lot of events. We have a lot of, we're kind to people. We are very kind to people. And we want the compassion like Jesus had, right? Since He's our Lord and we're really named after Him, Christians. And so we want to be like Him. Let's ask ourselves, do we have compassion like He did and teach people? That's the only thing that I wanted to point out of this. Because if we were able to teach and everyone had this compassion... Man, it'd be beautiful. There are just very few. And the Lord said it. The laborers are going to be few. But the harvest, there's going to be so much. There's going to be so much work to do. Do you have a true, biblical, compassionate heart? And I think that's something that is, that is wonderful. But the question now is this. We don't want to be a part of the minority. We don't want to have that majority. We... I hope all of us today want the best mindset, the best view of ourselves and our faith and of our Lord. We want the best. How do we have that, how do we have that best? How do we know that we're at the point to where Jesus Christ is the one we are fully devoted to? And this next slide is the fully devoted slide. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is what we're going to read. It's the, uh, it's the Bible reading that Zach was able to read for us. Verse 1, it says this, If then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, if you're a Christian, listen up. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above not on things that are on the earth. What's Paul saying here? Well, Paul's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, these are some things you need to do. This is going to set the rest of the passage. It's going to keep you away from verses 5 through 9, those sins that we talked about. It's going to keep you away from those. And then not only that, it's going to give you the compassionate heart that Jesus Christ had. And then everything else, the kindness, the meekness, the humility follows. This is what Paul is saying. You have to first set your mind on the things that are above. You have to change your mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us to, we could probably quote it, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word that's translated, transformed, in that passage is really cool. That's the word that we get our word metamorphosis from. I want to tell you something that I think was really neat. And I love how it goes with it. I love how Paul used that word, transformed. I, was, I think I was in first or second grade. We'll go with second grade. But second grade, I got a caterpillar. Um, and the rest of the class got caterpillars. And I named my caterpillar Jake. And me and Jake had a very close relationship. He didn't work at State Farm. But he was a great caterpillar. Jake grew a lot. I fed him. I don't remember what I fed him. I don't know what caterpillars eat, like leaves and stuff. But I fed him a bunch, and we were able to take care to where they would grow to a point. Well, one day, we all walked in, and we had these clear boxes, and it had the holes at top so Jake could breathe. And Jake was gone. Jake wasn't there anymore. Jake was in something called a cocoon. And I couldn't find Jake. I asked my teacher, where's Jake? Where'd he go? 
Well, sweetheart, he's, he's in his cocoon. He's, he's going through the stages of metamorphosis. I said, really? Well, what's he going to look like when he comes out? You'll see. You'll see. And so we all waited. It was like a few days or something. And we all waited for our butterflies to, to, to get ready. We took all of our cocoons and put them in these big uh, mesh-looking uh, containers, and it was really cool. And we put them in, and they were all up against the walls hanging. And, and we waited till every one of them came out of their cocoons. And what came out of that cocoon? The answer's on the PowerPoint, a butterfly. And it was a pretty butterfly. Listen, caterpillars aren't good looking, but butterflies are beautiful. And so we took out everything and we, we, we waited. We all gathered around and said, now listen, the teacher taught us about the stuff and asked us questions to kind of let it stick in our minds about what just happened. And she took the case off the top of the mesh uh, enclosurement and all the butterflies flew out. And it was just like, like in a movie. It was magical. It all, it all just went up in the air. I guess, I guess why I wanted to tell you that story was this. Because Jake changed, he was able to seek the things that were above. As Christians, Paul says to us, look at verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why would he say that? Because you're Christians. You're, you're spiritual being. You are, you are seeking God. That's where Christ is in heaven with God. And that's where we want to go. Why would we, what's the best place on earth? I mean, it's the best place in the universe. It's, it's a place where we want to be. Well, what What now? After I'm, after I'm ready to set my mind, well, you're going to seek the things that are above. Once you set your mind on something, you follow out, you seek after that. If you will, turn to a passage with me that we usually like to quote, but I, I really want to read a bunch real quick with you. Um, Matthew chapter 6, and you know the verse, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I, I want to go to, to this passage because we're going to read and start in verse 25. Verse 33 is that, that passage we really know. Seek first the kingdom of God. We're going to start in verse 25. And then we're going to apply it to our lives. So verse 25, it says, in chapter 6 of Matthew, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's verse 25 through 34. And I want to kind of give you all some context. Jesus is talking to a group of people and He's saying, Why are you worrying? Don't be anxious about your life. You don't have to worry. Don't don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink or what you're going to put on. Listen, look at the lilies of the field. Just just stop and look at the lilies of the field, how they're clothed, how God clothed. Aren't you more valuable than those lilies? God, when He created you, said it's you're very good. And when he looked at the lily, he said, it's just good. And then, and then, look at the birds. Look, they're flying over. Look at the birds. They neither toil nor spin nor gather into barns, but God the Father feeds them, doesn't he? Why are you worrying about what you're going to eat or drink? And he's talking to people that really, truly worried about these things. In our world today, there are so many people that worry about where they're going to drink their next bottle of water. They have to search for a puddle to find what they can drink. People have to search a garbage can to find what they can eat. And and people usually only have one pair of clothes that that they can wear. And it's dirty. I want to go ahead and say, none of that applies to us. We live in the United States of America. All of us, uh, at least most of us, know where our next meal is going to come. uh, Know what we're going to wear. And and we know that we have running water in our houses. That is no surprise to any of us. No surprise whatsoever. Now here's the question. Did those people that Jesus is talking about, that worried about, did they really have a right to worry about that? Absolutely. Those people in the world, that live in the third world countries, should they really worry about? Yes. They have a real risk at hand. It's dangerous. They do not have food. They do not have water. And so it is a big thing for them to seek out food and water and clothing that they can wear. Now for us, is it a big thing for us to seek out water? Absolutely not. We know exactly where it is and we can find it. Here's another question. Do we sometimes put that before seeking the kingdom? Have any of you thought about going to Cabo San Lucas while you've been in this building? I did while I was walking up the steps. I did. Did any of you, when the Lord's Supper was passed out, were you thinking about something that was not the body and the blood of the Lord? Were we thinking about fishing afterwards? What we may wear tonight to Sunday night worship? We're having the prayer service. We'd love for you to be here. But were we thinking about what we we're going to wear tonight? I'll tell you what, before I even left the house, I couldn't find a belt. That's a big deal. I couldn't find my belt. Was that going to allow me to say, well, that's going to ruin my Sunday morning. 
I'll be thinking about that belt all through... It's not a reason. What do we worry about? Do we worry about the earthly things that really don't mean a thing in the end? Or do we think about the things that are above, that are spiritual? A guy once asked a question, what do these three things have in common? Fishing, golf, and church. What do they have in common? Well, some person spoke up and said, well, for most people, they're all hobbies. And he's got a truth to it. Are we fully devoted? Where are our minds? I believe the Bible tells us that we should let our light so shine before men so that they may see our good works. That goes back to putting on the new man. See our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Why do you do the things that you do? Is it for God's glory or is it because we need to seek the earthly things? We're going to read two more verses. I believe the lesson will be yours. And back in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read 3 and 4. And this is what verse 3 and 4 says. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I love the way verse 4 puts this. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with Him in glory. I sat down in my chemistry class next to a friend of mine who was a very beloved friend. And we started talking about baseball. And through the course of our conversation, I was talking about how uh, I would be really tired after the end of a day of practice or something and the workouts that we were doing, something like that. And, uh, and we, we talked about uh, some people who didn't want to play that year. And this is what my friend said. Listen very closely. He said, I could never stop playing baseball. It's my life. And for some reason, when, when he said that, this, that verse popped in my mind. And now the question arises I guess we don't have it on the slide but our question arises is Christ your life? Is He your life? Or is He just a part of your life? He's a part of your life but something else is your life. Maybe, maybe I've had friends that say I love golf. I love golf and, and I'll, I'll go buy some golf clubs and I actually, I actually work at Musgrove and so I, I'll go and I'll work at Musgrove and I'll work on my golf game all, the, all day long. I work on my golf game all day. I even get paid to do it. And then I'll even call my buddies and ask them and, and if some of them are just amateurs at golf, I'll teach them how to play golf and it's my life. Can you describe your Christian life in the same way that my golfer friend can describe his golf game. I put all the time and effort into it. I'm willing to, to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed. Why? Because Christ is my life. And I could never quit. Is Christ your life? Back in verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ. I really love how it says raised with Christ there because 
you don't have to go far in the Bible to figure out where you were raised in Christ. Go to chapter 2 and read verses 11 through 13 with me. Colossians 2, verse 11 through 13, it says, In Him, that's Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were, who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I was going to say, I don't know about you, but I, I need my sins forgiven, but I actually do know about all of us. We all need forgiveness of sins. That's the way to get into Christ. And I'll tell you this right now, you don't earn your way to heaven. God saves you when you obey His commands. It's a beautiful thing to be in Christ. I'm thankful that y'all were here today, but I'm thankful also if you're not a Christian and you've become convicted by the words that were spoken from the Word of God. If you haven't become a Christian, we would love to study more with you and love to sit down and open a Bible with you with compassionate hearts like Jesus. And then if you've fallen, if you've done some things that we read about in verses 5 through 9 that you need forgiveness for and you need prayers to help strengthen you, we would love to do that as well. Please do that as we stand and sing.